Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by our guest, Joshua Seftal, who is the director of the Oscar-nominated documentary short film, Stranger at the Gate. And, you know, I, I was interested in, in the genesis of you telling the story because you're such an experienced filmmaker when it comes to short form storytelling with the series that you've worked on, The Secret Life of Muslims, previously. And, and so it sounds like, you know, you've made about 25 stories at this, this point. And I was just really interested with this story in particular, kind of whether there were spaces where you wanted to create linear threads that connected it to your previous work or kind of where you saw the opportunity to still continue telling stories in new spaces within that realm um, with, with it, that when you first read about this story and first discovered it. Sure. Um, so I've been, um, as you said, making these, these short films for, it's actually been eight years now. And the way that came about was, when I was growing up, uh, I faced a lot of anti-Semitism as a boy and uh, growing up in upstate New York. And that was that, you know, name calling and people throwing pennies at me to see if I picked them up, you know, to see, to prove, oh, Jews are cheap. Um, things like that, that stuck with me. After I became a filmmaker and then after 9-11, I decided that I thought I could maybe help my Muslim friends in some small way with films and so that was this series secret life of muslims and over time this this story just really resonated with me in this moment because it's really about division it's about the division in our country right now and in the world and it's it's a really i think fascinating case study of of hate and division and then the ways and the possibilities of us coming together as a society. It's, it's a positive story. It's a, it's a hopeful story. And it, uh, it's an example of a story with a happy ending that to me gave, it gave me hope that, you know, there, there are ways we can come together. We just, we need to, we need to start talking with each other. We need to start communicating. And, you know, I'm most inspired by the main character in our film, Bibi Barami, uh, who is a, the founder of the, of the mosque that was targeted to be blown up by, by a US Marine. And you know she, her whole ethos is if someone hates her, if someone hates Muslims or she finds out they hate her, she'll invite them over for dinner. And she will um, try to get to know them. And to me, there's something we can all learn from, from her that, you know, I, I believe if we were all a little more like her, the world would be a better place. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I love that detail with BB as well, because it kind of is, is, is reflective of that idea. It's not about debate. It's about humanity that can change opinions in this very unique and special way. And, and what the film does really beautifully is, is capture this story where you're telling one particular story about, you know, one person who was in that space, one community who were potentially going to be inflicted in this catastrophic way and ended up not being because of what happened. And so it's one story around this one space and yet it's so reflective with these much larger themes and topics and conversations and dialogue that it's able to create. And so how did you go into making a film and telling a story in that way where it's it's an insular story but reflective of, of this much bigger dialogue that you're able to address as well at the same time? Yes, yeah, to me this, you know, this film is about 
a guy who was filled with hate, a U.S. Marine who decided he was going to blow up his local mosque in Muncie, Indiana. And when he went there and came face to face with them, they were very kind to him. And it ultimately, you know, ultimately he changed his mind. And in fact, he joined the mosque. He became a member. And, you know, to me, it, it, yes, it's a story about Muslim Americans and Islamophobia, but it's bigger than that. It's, it's a story about humanity. It, this could be, uh, this could have been a synagogue. It could have been a church. It could have been a school. It's, but to me, what it's about is it's about us finding our, our shared humanity. And I think that, you know, when we can do that, we're all better off because we do have, we do share something, all human beings share something. And if we can find that, we can find our way out of this, this great divided moment we're in. And, and in terms of the voices in the film, you know, you have Richard McKinney yourself, who, who was the man planning to enact this, um, you know, his ex-wife, his, his stepdaughter. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people like Bibi and you have members of that community. And I love the way that you introduce them so early in the film. So even before we know where this, this story and the narrative is going, we're starting to get to know them outside of the context of this story almost. And so what did a lot of the pre-production look like for you in terms of really having those conversations with the community, finding the right voices to tell the story and, and making sure that they felt really comfortable and, and trusting of you to carry their stories? Because I know that you spent a lot of time being very careful in, in building those relationships beforehand. Yes. Yeah, I, you know, in every film, I like to do this if I can, which is to, to get to know the people before we start filming, to do phone calls, to meet them in person if possible. And in this case, we, it was during COVID. So we were doing a lot of, a lot of phone calls and getting to know each other so that when we're finally in a room together and there are bright lights and cameras, that there's already a, a relationship that's been established and uh, that was very important and and so we worked on that and we did a lot of pre-interviews and then going in and sort of knowing you know on the day of filming and knowing some of the responses that people give that helps me to search for new things and to try to get people off their script and to get them saying something really you know, true and from the heart. And, uh, and so we, our interviews tend to be very long. For example, we interviewed Richard McKinney, the, the would-be domestic terrorist for five hours. And it was nonstop for five hours, just, you know, searching for, for um, you know, the truth trying to get these true real moments out of him that were unvarnished and from his coming from his heart and his soul and that was um sometimes that takes a while but it, it, it paid off I think you know I feel like we really got him to open up in a way that maybe he hasn't before and and when we see him on screen as well you know he's he's not downplaying anything he's very matter of fact and he's very upfront with where he had been, what he had been feeling, what his intentions were in putting those plans together. 
And it's it's quite rare to hear someone be that forthright in regards to that sort of dialogue. Um, and and I've heard you kind of describing how when he when he was talking about those moments in that space of hate, that there was this palpable feeling in the room. And I was just really fascinated. And in, in terms of the experience of sitting in the room and and talking to him about those moments in his past, what that felt like in the instance that you were having these conversations on camera with him. Yes, that's a great question. He he's very um his hate, even though he's reformed and uh, is, you know, now a member of the mosque, is, he's Muslim, he was president of the mosque for a while, he still has access to the, those feelings of hatred. And he can talk about them in a very clear and, like you said, palpable way. And it's disarming. It's, it's, it's disturbing uh, when he speaks about it uh, because he it's still very you know, real to him, but um, it, in this case, it really helps, it helped us to, to portray, portray him and to, you know, to help the viewer understand exactly what this hate was, you know, someone described it as a front row seat to hatred that this character and, and this film does that. And, you know, I think that's what we wanted to do was to show people, this is what, this is what hate is. This is what um, you know, you you read about it or you, you read about, you know, hate crimes or you hear about, you know, January 6th, you know, things and, and you, you like, you're like, you're trying to understand who are these people and how do they get this way? And this guy, you get to meet him up close and personal. And I think it's instructive to understand how a human, fellow human being can go down this road and become this way. And then how they can change and and become a better person on the on the other side of it with with the other voices with the members of of the mosque you know it, it it's palpable watching the film in terms of that sense of warmth that we get from them you know when you when you talk about bb and it's like you feel that in terms of that connection as an audience member watching this film and and just getting this really strong sense of of who she is and so did you find that that on the other side, when you were filming with with Bibi and some of the other participants, that that sense was and that feeling was there in the room that was really tr then transcending across through the camera? Yes, I mean Bibi, who is really in my mind the hero of the film. I mean she, I've described her as like she's a new kind of hero. You know, she's someone who wants to talk to people and connect with them, regardless of how they feel about her, and because she wants to build bridges of understanding. And I've never, I've made a lot of films, but I've never had a subject of my film show up at a screening with a suitcase and she opens it up and it's filled with a giant Tupperware container full of home-baked cookies. And she's passes it out to the audience. She bakes cookies for the audience. So she's someone who's really like walking the walk and is truly wants to connect with with people and that's what the film is about it's it's she's just a, a beautiful person who has a beautiful message and it's you know it's simple it's like love conquers hate it's that simple i was like if that's not an ad for people to come see the film in person <laughs> one of your screenings i don't know what is yes and I also, it's it's a small detail, but but I love the facet during the credits at the end of the film that you have these little kind of like 
breaking the fourth wall moments where we get to see just little video snippets of some of like the setup or the behind the scenes of, of when you were filming. When did you realize that you wanted to include that moment and that detail? Because again, it just allows us to see them in a different light and in a different way for those little flickers of a few seconds during the credits. Yeah, I'm glad you're the first person who's actually asked about that. But, there, you know, at the end, we get to see the people that I think are the heroes of the film getting their finishing their interviews and getting their mics taken off and they they stand up and thank us and say goodbye. And uh, I believe that was our editor's idea. It's hard to remember, but I think it was um, Jeremy Medoff's idea. And I remember we showed a cut to somebody, to an executive, and he said, um, oh, you should take that out. You should, you know, that, that it doesn't help you. Don't show that, you know, and I was like, no, th this is really important because I think what it does is it shows all of our heroes as real people and they've sort of done, they did their job. They came in, they talked about the story, they told it and now they're done. And ideally you've fallen in love with them at this point and you get to see them going off into their life as just everyday people. And to me, that connection I, I, to me, it says like, you can do this too. You can be like these people, you know, you can, you can be a hero too, just by being kind to the people around you, by trying to connect with people who maybe are a little different from you. Uh, you can be just like them. And that's, that's the message we, we hope people take. And in, in terms of visually telling the story, it's it's a fascinating exercise because you're telling a story about a, a, a time several years ago and, uh, you know, a series of events in which there's no video footage of, of the play by play. There's not an extensive amount of photographs. And so you're tasked with how do you tell a story in a visual medium when we don't have the visuals already in place to support it? And I and I know that early on you were like, I don't want to do reenactments. Re that's that's not what this story is going to be. Um, and so it's interesting how you landed on certain choices, like even just having the visual element of kind of like the Google Maps view looking down towards the mosque, which kind of taps into the idea of surveillance and, and looking for details and information and how you really used the story to inform how you were going to create and, and shape visuals to support a, a space and a story that didn't naturally have that for you at the beginning of the process. Yes. So that was a challenge, you know, you telling us, retelling a story, something that already happened. Um, there's no archival footage. And one of the things we lean into, which you, you pointed out, was this, we did a lot of aerial views of this town, which in many ways is, is a main character in, in the film. To me, it's Muncie, Indiana, and it's a very flat town with, um, you know, it's not, you never, you hardly ever see people walking around. It's a very quiet, sleepy town. And we, you know, we thought about this idea of surveillance, as you said, where, you know, this is a this is a story about this guy who's planning to commit this crime and blow up this building, and he's a military guy. So we thought a lot about surveillance. We thought we also thought about the eye of God, you know, looking down and seeing this place. And one of the things I liked about using those visuals is that we didn't want to use reenactments and we wanted to let the viewer 
imagine what happened rather than seeing how we imagined what happened, which is what a reenactment essentially is, right? It's the filmmaker's idea of what they think happened and how they see it in their mind. And we wanted to leave that space for the viewer to do that. So by having these shots from above where you can look down and say, this is where it's going, this is where the story's happening down here. And I can't quite see what's happening, but I can imagine it. And almost like when you're listening to radio or to a podcast and you picture the people and you picture what happened as you're hearing it, we wanted to create that effect with this film. And as you went into post-production on the film, you know, you, you have a series of different voices who are all telling their recollection of, of this moment in time and, and these events. And then in post-production, you obviously have to figure out how you're going to piece it together and you're kind of stepping between different voices, but it needs to feel completely linear in the way that it's narratively unfolding for the audience. And so what was that process for you in really finding the moments and the details which worked from every person's recollection in a way that really pieced together and completely um, translated for the audience listening to it and hearing it and, and watching it on screen? Yeah, well, so the interviews are a really key part of the of the film and what we did is we you know of course they were wearing a microphone but but so was i when we were doing the interview because i wanted to capture sometimes those moments in between the question and the answer uh, i think sometimes the that moment of interaction where you hear the voice of the interviewer but you're watching the face of the person who's being interviewed and watching their expression and watching the way they're processing your question. Sometimes that can be so revealing. It's, it, it tells you more than the answer they give. And, you know, there's even moments in the film where, you know, like I ask Mac a question, I ask him like, how did killing people change you? And he is so taken aback by the question that he can't even muster an answer, but you watch him struggle with it and and you learn things about him through that through that that moment where he's grappling with the question and you know if if you were reading a transcript and editing by transcript which you know some people do they they read the transcript and they like cut out the sound bites and they put them into a script and if you were reading the transcript, you would never pick that moment because there was no answer to the question. But if you're watching that moment, you see that it says more than words ever could. And so we love leaning into those moments and not relying on reading a transcript, but rather watching down all the footage and looking for those, those real, true moments, those honest moments that are so revealing and sometimes it's not at all about what someone says. It's about their facial expression. It's about the pauses. It's about, um, you know, just just those little glimpses and moments that tell that say so much more than words. That's such an interesting detail. And 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 lastly, I wanted to ask you about the end of the film because you know, similar to life, like life doesn't tie itself up in, in neat, tidy bows and neither does this story. You know, yes, Richard McKinney has become part of this community. 
he's found the religion of Islam, but it, it doesn't mean that everything is, is finite. You know, he's still grappling with that sense of regret and not forgiving himself for having been in that space and having had those feelings of, of hatred. And, and like you said, you know, he can still access those emotions and that space that he was in previously. Um, and, and so I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of yes create like a semblance of hopefulness within the film but also still to allow for the openness of space that this is a continuation it's it's not that everything wrapped itself up neatly at the end of this story um and was that something that you discovered early on as you were starting to learn more details about it or when did you kind of discover that 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 myriad of those two different spaces was going to be the end of the film uh, you, you're asking great questions that no one else has asked so it's 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 fun to do this interview thank you um that was a big part of our thought process was we didn't want the story to be too neatly tied up because it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a complicated story. And this guy, Mac McKinney is someone who's, you know, he would say to you, he's still struggling. And, you know, he, through this process, he, he ends up getting divorced. Um, and he, you know, to this day is would I think would say to you that he's struggling, struggling to forgive himself, and just struggling with the the demons of you know having served for twenty five years in combat and uh, the the toll that took on him. So we didn't want to end this story with a perfect you know button at the end that oh everything's fine and great. Uh, you know there are still there are still, there's still trauma and, you know, it's, Mac has found a, a good place for himself and he has this community now, but um, it's not simply like happy, happily ever after kind of story. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on all the incredibly well-deserved success of this film and really appreciate you talking about this. It's been so fascinating to hear the details that went into making it. So thank you so much, Joshua. Oh, thank you. That's a great interview. You, I loved your questions. Thank you.